Hey there, this is Mark Scarborough, and this is the podcast Walking with Dante. And this episode of the podcast is a new feature. It's an interview. Yes, indeed. We're going to include some interviews in this podcast from now on out. And this interview is with a Dante translator, someone who has been working on Inferno for a long time, J. Simon Harris. I want to just say before we get to the interview with J. Simon Harris and his translation of Inferno, you can find him on his own website, jsimonharris.com. You'll find there passages from the Inferno. I believe he'll tell us that he's done except for tweaking with his translation of Inferno. So you can find some sample passages there. And more importantly, you can find his brilliant translations of Pablo Neruda's love songs. That's a whole different thing. You can find those on his website and on Amazon too. But let's go. An interview with J. Simon Harris and translating Inferno. Hi, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Um, I'm a huge fan of your podcast, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's really nice. So let me ask you a couple of questions to get this going. And the first one is, who is Dante to you? I mean, here you are translating the comedy. Who is Dante to you? It's hard to get a grasp on it in some ways because I feel like I'm really, really close to him in a lot of ways. And I know Dante and I've been reading a lot of history and writing a lot of, of the history of him, of his life. And uh, at the same time, I feel like probably if I met Dante in person, I might not get along with him. <laughs> <laughs> it's always hard to get along with true believers. Yeah, yeah. And so... Um, yeah, I feel like other writers that I admire, I might get along with more like Shakespeare. I think I could, I'd, I'd love hanging out with Shakespeare, but Dante would be a, a different beast altogether. Is it, is it the intellect? Is it the, is it the core religious values? Is it the austerity of his life? What is it that's off-putting? I think probably the austerity of it. I mean, so you see in comedy, there's some places where, he has some humor comes through and stuff like that. But I, I just, every account of his, of his, how he's behaves in real life seems to be very intimidating. And I think I would be intimidated by him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, he was a very austere and certainly, especially toward the end of his life, a very righteous figure, a righteous mm -hmm. as in he knew he was right. Right. Uh, knew he was right in ways that he thought the church was wrong, which is really wild, uh, a, a position to get yourself in. So tell me about your translation of Dante. Here you are translating the comedy. Why are you translating the comedy? I came to it first in a, just an undergraduate course. Um, and I've always loved Greek mythology, Greek and Roman mythology, and never really read Dante, never thought about it. And we came to him in like a world literature survey course. And I just absolutely loved it for just the surface level things. The fact that he was referring to all these mythological, biblical mm. things, you know, at the end of the course, I asked, uh, I had done like a little bit of translation before from Spanish, but not, I didn't know Italian. I asked my um, professor if I could just do a translation of the first canto instead of a final essay. And I wanted to do it in Terzarima because uh, basically, you know, that, that seemed like a fun thing to do. And I ended up doing five cantos instead of one. Wow. Those early versions were pretty terrible. So I've almost completely rewritten those, but I had a blast doing it. And the more I got into it, the more I loved it. And I mean, I think you know that you, the deeper and deeper you dig, the more rewarding it is. It is. You are doing a Tertzarima translation 
of Dante, as opposed to my fast and loose, no rhyme, no rhythm, just attempt to kind of put Dante into English and maybe use some colloquial English, but you're trying to keep to actually the structure yeah. that Dante uses, which is tough in English to say the least. Yeah, it is. It's really hard, especially for translation, because I mean, you know, if, you, if you're writing your own poem, you have the flexibility to sort of come up with rhymes as you go, more or right. less. Um, this you're working sort of backwards and forwards at the same time. So anytime you're working on a stanza, you're really working on three stanzas at once. Right. And then, you know, in the in the craziest part is the lines that are repeated exactly, the two lines that are repeated exactly, uh, because then you're working across two cantos, like three stanzas at the same time. You have to get use the, all the same rhyme words. It's, it's really tough. So <laughs> I can imagine. I mean, we're just in the podcast when I'm recording this with you, we're just passing through the Capaneus episodes in 14 in inferno 14 and there are those weird parts which we've now passed by the time this interview uh airs in which uh the rhyme scheme uh, uh, that virgil uses to capaneus and then back to dante is exactly the same rhyme scheme that he uses for filippo argenti and for plutus and so they're the exact same tercet rhymes that happen and they're repeated with capaneus which of course presents a translator with a terrible problem because the rest of the lines aren't the same at all it's just those yeah. rhyming words at the back off the top of my head i can count on one hand the number of poems i know in in english in yeah. tercerima i mean i can count yeah. you know shelley percy Shelley. i can count on one hand the number of poems i know and it's it's uh, it's so uh, such a wild rhyme scheme because English it doesn't rhyme as naturally as Italian does, and especially as easily as Florentine does, since Dante feels free to break Italian right and left to create yeah, the language true. he needs. <laughs> a lot of coinages and yeah, yeah, and just breaking grammatical structures right and left to write the poem he wants to write. So, what's your greatest challenge when you work with Dante? So, I guess twofold. Um, one is the tertiarima because that's very difficult mm. and also you know you want to make it sound natural i i don't have exact rhymes so that helps um i use slant rhymes and things the other is it's one of the most challenging things but it's also something that i enjoy so it's a, it's good at least is that um to really translate it properly you also have to fully understand it and it's a difficult poem to understand um so it takes a lot of scholarship so mm -hmm. basically over the course of translating it and then retranslating it because I basically finished it and went back and restarted mm. at the beginning. Mm. Um, I've kind of become like a Dante scholar, you know, amateur Dante scholar, at least just to be able to do the translation. Mm. It's really hard. And I find when I do my very ad hoc rough translations, which are not elegant in the least, I find that um, I'm always very conscious about giving away the game, you know, like I, that I want to translate a line in a certain way because I know that in the next canto, this will occur. And so thus, and I know Dante's setting that up. And yet at the same time, it's a little bit unfair for me to give away the game quite so yeah. early when I'm when it's hitting me. It's, it's tricky. It's tricky with a poet who is working across his own poems so effectively to find out where that all leads. And it's an interesting thing to have to be a scholar to do this, which I think you do. Um, what, for example, can you give us an example of what kind of background work you have done about? Dante? Sure. Um, I mean, a whole lot of it is just reading um, commentaries, and, and I'm better at reading English than other languages. So the commentaries I rely on the most are uh, Singleton and 
Hollander, and there's some others. Um, just notes from other translations and things like that are helpful. Interesting. And then also, a lot of times I'll use a pretty broad set of resources to, to approach something. So I'll, I'll do Google searches. Um, sometimes I search to see like even stuff like what search has the most returns, you know, like the most hits on Google if I want to use different forms of a word or something like that. It's a, it's a fascinating way to think about approaching Dante through the kind of thick layer that the internet allows you to have. I'm using a very uh, straightforward, well, my old, my, as I said, uh, my old notes on my grammar from when I read Dante and then a dictionary, but I haven't ever really thought about the kind of thick layering that you could get off a great Google search. Fascinating that you could bring that to comedy. If you had to pick a single episode from the comedy that's your favorite, what would you pick? Yeah, it's really, really hard. Uh, I'll focus on Inferno because okay. that's what I'm most invested in right now. I mean, it's it's almost hard to not be cliche because mm. all of the best ones are the most famous ones. You know, everything's great. So, uh, But I, mm. I really love the Ugolino episode. I just think it's so well done and so dramatic and and frightening and yeah i just love that whole thing unbelievably weird and difficultly phrased in the italian part of it we haven't got to the ugolino episode yet in the podcast walking with dante so it is something to look forward to but it is one of the rougher spots in yeah. comedy rougher in terrifying rougher in what's going on and rougher in its grammar in places it's yeah definitely it's, it's a tough spot inside the words are very torqued i think if since some since i ask you that i think i'm going to tell, say now that if i could leap ahead in the podcast walking with dante and go any place in the comedy i am just gunning 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 for marco of lombardy in purgatorio and it is i'm gunning with all my weight for marco <laughs> half of what i say i sometimes think oh god if we were only on marco of lombardy up in purgatorio this would all make sense but yeah. we're not yet <laughs> so. yeah I've heard you say a few times, like, this will come up again, you know, we'll get to this in purgatory. <laughs> yes, that, that, oh, man, I just, I'm just dying to get there, but it, I guess it will happen soon enough. If you had to tell somebody who hasn't ever read comedy, who is just dropping in to this podcast on this episode for the first time, and you had to tell them something about comedy or some reason they should read comedy, what would you tell them? It's something that's hard because it sort of depends on who the person is and what their interests are and things like that. But I think one thing is that the comedy can be daunting, especially when you see all the apparatus built up around it and everything. And I think that like what I would say is that the best thing to do is to read the poem first and read it as a story um, before you like delve deep into, um, you know, more stuff if you want to do that i think it definitely helps to have guides and you know you can't know everything that the poem's talking about but you can follow it perfectly fine uh, without knowing all of the intricate details mm. um and i think that a lot of people get turned away because of the you know because of that because you because of the sheer level of commentary that runs around it yeah yeah I think that that's right. I, I mean, before uh, I started the podcast, this podcast, Walking with Dante, 
I had an old uh, tradition. I don't know that I'll still do it, but I had an old tradition that I read the comedy every January 1st. And I read the whole thing. I just sat in a chair and read it. And sometimes it would take me, uh, you know, four days. And sometimes it would take me the month of January. It just depended on my mood. But I would just read it straight through and not stop. And I, I find that all very fascinating. My brother-in-law read has read the comedy on flights to India because he travels back and forth to India on business. And again, he's just read it straight through. Yeah. And it's interesting when you read it straight through, because of course, in this podcast, we're, we're, you know, getting down in the weeds often in the history and you can forget there's a plot. Yeah, that's true. That's going on here. And I think that your call is right about that. Is there any translation that you would suggest besides your own that someone would start with? Yeah. Um, yeah. Especially for what's already out there since you can't get mine yet. <laughs> um, especially. <laughs> uh, I think my favorite just for clarity um, and, and they're well-written too is my favorite two are Anthony Esselin's and uh, the Hollanders translation. Mm. Um, I just the both of those are very readable and smooth and and the commentary especially the commentary for Hollanders is excellent. I mean even places where I disagree with it I'm like oh wow that's a great point. So <laughs> he was he just had a little bit of background in Dante the Hollander did. And of course he's working with his wife who was a poet so the two of them together can turn out a great translation. The Esselin is an interesting translation because it's much more colloquial I think than Hollanders. Yeah. And it has a real nice feel to it. I remember a long time ago I read the American poet Robert Pinsky's translation of Inferno. And I liked it a great deal, but I have to admit that I've never read it again. And it wasn't facing page, so you couldn't see the Florentine. Yeah. Have you ever tried Pinsky? I have. I'm not a huge fan of it. I, like, I mean, I like a lot of his po poetry. I wasn't a huge fan of that translation for a couple of different reasons. One is that it, the, it was very, very compressed, and Dante's already very compressed, and it felt like some stuff was cut, you know? Uh, and then two is the... I mean, he did the Terzarima, but it was with the consonant rhymes, or he called them like Yeatsian rhymes. And I, the, it just didn't work for me. <laughs> I, know, I know a lot of people love that one. So I know. And I, I, now I'm going to kill all any creds I might have ever had. But I have to tell you that still to this day, when I teach Dante in person, and when I have led seminars on Dante in person, I still use... and. God, please don't leave me now, but I still use the Chiardi translation. And the reason, <laughs> don't jump away from me. And the, <laughs> the reason I still use the Chiardi translation is because for people who have never encountered Dante, it is a very easy readable translation. And I will admit that every single canto in the Chiardi, I have a set of notes about where he's wrong. He's wrong here, he's wrong there, <laughs> that I also pass out with it but it still seems to be this easily readable translation of it. I, I, it's funny. It, it It's funny how it teaches versus how it's read um, and the difference between the two. Um, so this isn't the only thing that you do. You have translated other things before you set to on comedy. So tell me what else you've done. So uh, I have done a translation of Pablo Neruda's uh, 20 Love Poems and a Song of Despair. That one is actually published and available on Amazon um, in paperback or ebook or whatever. And um, 
I've also translated on the website, there's some of this, but not all of it. So not all of this stuff is published, but I've also translated some of the beginning of the Iliad in, um, in the hexameter verse. Holy hell, you're doing the Iliad in hexameter. That's impossible. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Carry on. Yeah, you can check that out if you want to. That was what I have is on my website. It's not a whole lot yet, but and what is that website? Oh, it's uh www.jsimonharris.com. Okay. And uh and then I've also done some stuff like uh the the wanderer from old English. I, that into alliterative verse that's not available anywhere yet uh i've tried to get it published in uh, journals but i mean nothing's come of it yet um i may just put it on my website honestly <laughs> and this and how'd you get doing this because this isn't your day job no how'd you get doing this i've just i've always loved to write i mean i started writing poems when i was in third grade and stories even before that so i've always loved to write i've always loved reading and literature and poetry especially. So I don't remember when I first translated a poem, but it was it was Neruda's uh, poem 20 from 20 Love Poems. And oh. uh, I love that poem. I just, I knew a little bit of Spanish. I knew enough to like, you know, try it. So I tried translating it. That was fun. But really what really, really, really got me into translation was Dante, honestly. Um, that's where I really started in earnest before that I'd, i've written lots of poetry and stuff like that but fascinating it's the story of all i think everybody's life and certainly anybody who's listening to this podcast that dante slowly overtakes your life and that it slowly eats up all the available space or he eats up or the comedy eats up or somebody eats up all the available space in your life and uh it is kind of an astounding thing to immerse yourself in um because it has such, I don't know what, gravitas, weight, attraction. I know sometimes I tell my husband it's a black hole and I'm circling on the event horizon and I, I can feel myself going over the edge <laughs> at any second. So there you go. That's how it goes. Well, um, again, let me just say that your translations of Neruda's 20 love poems is on Amazon. It, and in fact, if you drop down at the bottom of this podcast episode in the notes, there's a link to it. And there's a link to your website. Um, wh wh when do you think that you would finish your translation of Inferno? So, all right. So I don't have like a date set yet, but the, the translation itself is completely done. Um, barring maybe like a word here and there that I may change as I go. Um, what I'm working on now is... Uh, like a historical background material. I'm up to the point where Dante is just about to be exiled, so I'm pretty far along. I also am almost completely done with uh, like a glossary. So I basically have a glossary of every proper noun in the in the poem. Wow. Yeah, with like pronunciations and then like maximum three line descriptions of them. So that took a little while to get to get through but it's yeah i imagine it would and did you are you translating from petrochi or are you using landiano or where are you translating from i'm using petrochi um as represented in the mandelbaum translation mm -hmm. uh, that's what i originally read in class um and so i started you know I, I, again i didn't know any italian when i started doing all this and so i would start with i'd have mandelbaum in front of me and longfellow and then Sisson, which was just the other book that I happened to have, nothing against them. It's not my favorite, but it, for some reason it just worked. 
And so that's still what I use. I still have those three in front of me. And then I have the um, Petrochi text from Mandelbaum. Interesting. When I decided to do, I think I said this on the podcast already, but when I decided to do the ad hoc translations, I went with Petrochi. And the only reason I went with Petrochi, I thought about going with Delandiano, but the only reason I went with Petrochi was that it's what is always in the facing page in English. It's the Hollanders facing page. And right, so right. if somebody got the facing page, they'd be, at least we'd be on the same lines together at any given point in the Florentine. Yeah. And it just seemed the, I don't know what the easier way for me to go. Yeah. When I decided, you know, I'm no scholar on the manuscript tradition, but it seems like it's a pretty well received text and everything. Uh, I'm also not like super bound to it necessarily. So I think like when, when I think in the Petrochi, it's errors around my head. I say horrors. I just thought it was better. <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not like bound to his punctuation and stuff necessarily. So uh, see, these are the reasons Dante won't like you when he meets you. No. <laughs> he, he would want you to be bound exactly right. by the rules. <laughs> <laughs> what the rules are, I think. Maybe. Texts are so difficult to pin down and the and the comedy is difficult, as we've talked about, to pin down in any way. But it does rather overtake your life. And it is really nice to have you on this podcast. It's really nice to hear the voice of someone else who Dante has eaten up their spare time <laughs> beyond, beyond their normal job life. So best of luck with your translation, best of luck with how that comes out. And uh, I hope that when it's actually somewhere, you'll come back on and we'll talk about where it is and how it lives. I would love to do that. Yeah. <laughs> that would be great. Thanks for being on Jay Simon Harris. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I love talking to people who are passionate about Dante. Subscribe to this podcast, like it, rate it, come back, because we are ready to pass into Canto 15 and find out more about these people on the burning sands, way more than you could ever imagine. And we're about to meet the next great sinner of hell, Brunetto Latini. I'm Mark Scarborough, and this is Walking with Dante.